Sam, how many Premier League goals will Gonzalo Higuain score for Chelsea? Go. Seven this season. Seven this season. Yep. On with the show. It's BR Football Ranks. It's the first ever bonus episode. And with a transfer window slamming shut, we're here to discuss the best and worst deals of the window. Who were the big winners and who had a deadline day disaster? We're about. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me are two men who know a thing or two about transfers and how they fit. To my left... BR Football's human rumour BS detector, simply sieving speculation for the Supreme Social Squad since Sterling signed for City. It's Dean Jones. Nice intro, Mike. And to my right, a man who spends sleepless nights puzzling over how another right-back fits at Bayern Munich. It's the tactical star, timelessly toiling over technical troubles. Sam Tai is in the building. <laughs> I hope you're all ready for another ranking. How are we, fellas? Good, mate. I mean, listen, that was a dramatic January. I know people are being a bit down on it and people always expect the world, but I think there's plenty here for us to get through plenty because there discuss. were some really good deals, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's not beat around the bush. Let's get straight into these rankings. Sam, how are they going to work today? So I've got a top five deals for the January window, according to me. Uh, love this podcast. I mean, there were some good deals love out there. this platform. Uh, just get to say what I want, really. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to say first off is... Lots of different types of deals went through in January. Uh, you've got loan deals, you've got deals struck in January ahead of the summer, you've got all sorts of different stuff. I've just tried to rule out basically loan deals because I feel like if I, if I included them, I just have five loans because they're pretty smart at this stage of the season. Yeah. So sorry, Gonzalo Higuain and co. We've ruled out loans. These have got to be permanent deals. But a deal struck now ahead of the summer is also technically okay if you want it to be. Okay, right. So that's the, those are the conditions. That's and we're the gonna parameters. Go, yeah, we're going to go five to one. Uh, and I'm going to start at number five with a player who seriously intrigues me. I've got a lot of questions about him still, but I'm really excited to see how this one pans out. And it's Lucas Paqueta to AC Milan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So about £30 million. I think it was pretty much done in about December, ahead of the January window. I don't know what his best position is. Yes. I don't know which player he emulates. I'm not even 100% sure he's figured out his own style yet. But I've I've looked at him and I've seen a bit of Firmino in the way he plays. Kind of an easy comparison, I guess, because he's an attacking midfielder who's Brazilian. But he combines the sort of technical skill with the hard work and the grit that you associate with yes. Firmino in the pressing game. I've also seen him compared by a Brazilian scout to Michael Balak. So he's got some serious names to live up to here. But... In the, in the short time we've seen him at Milan so far, uh, he's, we've seen... I feel like he just represents pure joy on a football pitch. We've seen him rainbow flick over a player. We've seen some really nice deft touches and flicks. He takes the ball away from players and they have no idea where it's gone. It's so nice to see. And it's great for Milan to have a play like this as well because I feel like they've been starved of this outside of Suso for quite a while. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like in that Milan squad you do need that kind of balance of grit and flair if if you're going to succeed and a team that's drastically underperformed I suppose you'd argue over the last year and a half or so it it feels like a bit of a fresh air yeah I don't think you can survive uh, under Gattuso without having that grit and that work rate 
but you also can't improve Milan or add something that they don't already have unless you have that flair. Yeah. So in some ways, it's the perfect transfer because he combines the two into one package and is exactly what Milan needed. And we'll see how it works moving forward. They've also signed, you know, Christoph Piontek for another thirty million. Side note. In December, I saw that Milan were basically sanctioned by financial fair play. So how they ended up getting through this month and spending <laughs> 60 million quid is uh, maybe a question for somebody else. Yeah. But really excited problem? to see... Uh, yeah, not my problem. Paquetta's a good player. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm excited to see those two link up and see how that goes forward. Because Milan have been crying out. You know, Obviously, Higuain went in there and they thought he was going to be the, the answer to that problem after Andre Silva kind of flopped over there. And that wasn't the answer, but... Piontek seems like he's really moving into that space and you know it's a good start from him yeah good start two goals straight away I don't think we should underplay by the way that rainbow flick it was on his debut wasn't it and um, that that shows some confidence if you're going into a new club doing something like that I mean I can't think of too many players I've seen do that on a pitch maybe Rubinho at some point I think I remember doing one Neymar done it Neymar yeah all Brazilians you gotta be a serious baller if you're going to try stuff like that so quite how his, his career goes from this point on who knows but he's certainly set the bar high I remember Hidetoshi Nakata doing it oh, yeah. so I, I think that that's probably the level we're talking about here <laughs> quality player quality icon Sam who's at number four number four uh, Miguel Almiron to Newcastle great shout yes, Prob- this is it. probably the the headline deadline day deal yes um, just want to start by celebrating the fact that Newcastle finally broken their transfer record. Yeah, congratulations. That yeah. stood since uh, 2006, Michael, Michael Owen, Owen yeah. was £16 million. The fact that it's taken this long to break is a whole different hour-and-a-half conversation which Newcastle fans have, week I, presu- week I presume, out, on I a daily basis. So yeah. we won't go into that. Let's just let's celebrate that and move on to Almiron, the player. Again, just feels like exactly what Rafa Benitez needed. So Newcastle... The style that they utilise has been it's been it's pretty clear now. They play a back five and they counter attack. They block out in the midfield, but they've been missing that player to link basically all of the rest of the team to Salomon Rondon. And they've been missing that player that can transform them in transition and on the counter attack. So signing Almiron, who essentially carries the ball extremely well into yes. space, picks passes really well. Uh, has a, has a long shot on him can can affect can affect the game from that way as well but mostly will just run forwards and t- and take your team from defence into attack. It feels like you can just put him into this into this Newcastle system and just it's like a plug and play scenario and he'll just take them to that next level. And look, I don't think that they were crying out for him to stay up. I think Newcastle would have been okay. But this probably eases any relegation concerns for me and basically means that they can start looking up the table, not down, depending on how quickly he settles. Yeah, I, I want to talk a bit further about this, but before because you love we do, I love Amron. And in fact, I disagree with you. I think this is the transfer of the window. But I want to speak first to Dean because this transfer rumbled on for ages. Mm. And, you know, it was rumoured at the start of the window and then it went cold and then it all... How does it work in terms of these kind of transfers and, and the different kind of stages of procedure that they go through? This one was a bit more complicated in the fact that Mike Ashley is trying to find a buyer for Newcastle at the moment. So back in December, like literally at the end of December, this was first mooted. Um, someone at Newcastle had, had really done his homework on Almiron and decided that this was a player they should go ahead and try and recruit. Um, certain people were on board with it and they wanted to move ahead and 
when they sounded out Almiron's representatives, it was clear that he was excited by the idea. But there was always this underlying fear that because Ashley was trying to find a buyer for the club, that how how would this be financed? How how would they manage to break their transfer record at a time when no one was really sure of how the future of the club was going to open up? And um, so that was why it dragged on probably longer than it should have. I was told the whole way through it to kind of be a little sceptical of whether they'd get it over the line. But um, in the end, you know, I know Mike Ashley gets a lot of stick. but well, Rightly so, in, in yeah, a lot of the quarters. <laughs> completely. Um, but they have finally done it. And Newcastle uh, deserve credit for going out and making a bold, pretty brave signing because people aren't, um, don't show enough confidence in MLS talent that emerges. And this is one that, to be honest, I don't even see as a gamble. No, I, I think that it is one of those things that it's a big transfer for Newcastle because he's a player that could genuinely be a superstar. Uh, it's a big transfer for Almiron because he has a, a big opportunity now to make his mark. It's a huge transfer for MLS because mm. if he comes over having succeeded in MLS and then slots into the Premier League and, and is able to carry that over, then it opens the floodgates a little bit in that people can go, well, if Almiron did it, then so can I. And I know Almiron is slightly a cut above and I know that he was, you know, double-time player of the year and, and all of those things. But at the same time, you know, you do get players of genuine talent coming through that system. And I think that if he can bridge that gap, there's such an opportunity here to, to make that divide smaller and, and make sure that it sort of trickles over. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the reputation of MLS is still, it's still low in, mm. in Europe, basically. Yes. And you saw immediately, once Amaron had been announced, particularly we saw it in BR Football's Twitter feed, just a load of people going, why, he's rubbish, isn't he? He's rubbish. And just assuming that because he plays in MLS, which is a stupid thing to do, first and foremost, but also is indicative of where the, where the reputation of MLS is Absolutely. With, with perhaps European fans. So this, this is the opportunity. But I think those people have also been missing the fact that over the last couple of years, the whole retirement league thing has kind of just faded away. It's not full of like aging Lampards and Gerrards. It's actually full of Almirons. Yeah, it's full of like twenty-two, twenty-three South- now, year yeah. old South American players, players it's, who were taking Ezequiel Barco and yeah. the like, and all players, those that, players that are going from the Argentine and Brazilian leagues, mm-hmm. and, and for Almiron, he's Paraguayan, South American talent moving into MLS because it's in the same continent, and they're rightly seeing that as a springboard. Almiron is now the flagship case. Let's see some more. There are several other players in there that can do the same thing. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the reason I think this is the the deal of the window is because obviously it fits perfectly. Like you say, tactically, it makes absolute sense to walk into this kind of Newcastle system. The way he carries the ball is breathtaking at times. And and his kind of ability to pick up speed while ball carrying is is second to almost none. He is able to, to take the ball at such speed through midfields that I think that... Newcastle are onto a real, real winner. And having watched him this year at Atlanta and having sort of watched his link-up play with Joseph Martinez, if he can find some sort of connection with Rondon in the way that he did with Martinez, I don't think it's going to be the same because they were they have spoken at length at how they are you know, almost brothers and they see each other as family. But if he can find a connection on pitch with Rondon, then Newcastle are going to, like you say, be looking up the table rather than down. And I think this is a phenomenal deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Sam, number three. I'm so sorry that that wasn't higher, Jack. I've disappointed you. Uh, this one you might you might suggest is a little bit boring, but 
I've included it because there was no fee agreed on the loan and they hashed it out this month, or sorry, in January, um, and it has now become a transfer full-time. It's Johnny yes. to Wolves mm-hmm. for 18 million quid reported. Um, so he, he was loaned back in the summer and they didn't agree a fee and they've done really well to hatch this one out in January because over the first half of the season, Johnny was brilliant. Um from left wing back or maybe even from right wing back if he needed to be. He's a very versatile guy. And I made the point on social media last week that I think Johnny would actually walk into half of the top six's starting 11s as either a left back or a right back or a left wing back or a right wing back and improve them. Go on then, explain it. So he's better than Trippier. Yes. He'd walk into the Arsenal side, particularly now that Bellerin is out for the season, but also over Kolesinac as well. I'd say that on, when he's in peak form, he's better than Alonso. So no, see, I, that's the, this is the one I disagree with you on because I think that if you're looking at these as a, as a flat thing, mm. you have to accept that everyone is on peak form. Mm-hmm. So you have to assume that peak Alonso. We're talking about peak Alonso, and I think peak Alonso probably still edges out Johnny in a, in a lot of ways. Maybe, but we haven't seen peak Alonso no, for, like for, for a three while. months. So yeah, no, I'm starting to I'm starting to like I'm starting to become quite concerned about that, but. Anyway, it, it kind of speaks to how good this deal is because if, if you if you could get into at least two, if we agree on that, oh, if not, if Manchester not, United if not three, if yeah, exactly, if not three or four of the top six sides, and Wolves have bought him, and fullback is such a difficult position to fix and fill. Like they're so hard to find, particularly someone who can play on the left because of the percentage of players who are left-footed or right-footed. The percentage of left-footers is, is so much smaller. And obviously not that many right-footed players can just switch over to the left. Not everybody's Azpilicueta or Johnny. Yeah. So this is a huge deal to get over the line for Wolves. One bizarre thing for me in all this is, OK, so he's 24. He was at Celta Vigo. He joined Atleti, what, last summer? Yeah. Doesn't play a game. Goes he's out, got loaned straight out. Goes straight out to Wolves. And now he's completely moved to Wolves. Like, why did Atletico Madrid sign him? And why would they have agreed to a permanent transfer right now? Like, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what's happened yeah. there? Is that just a massive failing of the Atletico system? I've seen this been discussed online, and the way that Atletico sign players is actually a little bit scattergun, and, right. and they just go, oh, okay, that player looks good, I'll sign him, and then we'll work on it later. And then suddenly, <laughs> it's 18 months down the line, they're like, oh, we've got rid of him. And yes, it's not turned them you know, a deficit. Mm. They've, they've sold him out of profit, but... It, it doesn't seem to be a sensible way of recruiting players at Atletico, and that does worry me. I just, I'd also just like narrow that conversation down to Atletico Madrid and fullbacks. Like their okay, approach yeah. to fullbacks is weird. I mean, you've got basically over the summer they got rid of Shimi Vishalko after a really good World Cup, and I'm not sure he got on with Diego Simeone that well. I think that might have been the reason they bought Santiago Arias, who has been fine, but he's objectively a worse player than Shimi Vishalko. So it's not like... He probably has a, a ceiling at this point that's slightly higher, though, because he's younger. I don't know. I don't. I feel like Arias is, is pretty good, and that's about it. Like, I don't see an awful okay. lot from him that can really excite me or wow me or move up, move up the levels. Whereas Vishalko is a dangerous player. Yeah. So their attitude or their use of, of fullbacks or their, their juggling of fullbacks has been strange for a couple of years. Like, I'm not really sure what Simeone's doing with them. They're not absolutely vital to the way he plays. Maybe that's why he's just willing to fling one out here, bring one in here. I don't really understand it. You're right, the scattergun approach to their transfers is strange. They just buy a lot of South American talent and see what sticks at 18 or 19. And, and uh, oh, he's quite good for the under-20s in Colombia. Like, let's go for him and see what happens. And Their reserves is full 
of Argentines and Colombians and, and yeah. Uruguayans, they're hoping for a Jimenez. Another one and another one and another one. I don't know what they're doing, but I've decided just not to question it anymore. Does he ever list Atleti as one of his clubs when he looks back on his career because he never made his debut? <laughs> <laughs> can you can you actually say you played for that club if you didn't actually play for them? Probably not. No. Probably not. He did sign for them, though. He, he did signed, sign like, for them. Who did you play for? Atletico Madrid. <laughs> did you, though? Yeah. Mm, kind of. You just put, trained a few times. play in quotation marks yeah. and then see where you go. Yeah, I think that's a, a good deal, Sam. Right, onwards, onwards. Okay, onwards. Up to number two, Dizzy Heights here. Uh, Amadou Haidara. From, Explain. From one of the Red Bull clubs to the other. From Salzburg to Leipzig. Right. So This is quite obscure to go in at number two. Well, he's really good. That's he why, good. Dean. He's really, really good. Um, Haidara is... Again, someone who maybe of the wider world is not going to be necessarily that aware of. If you're a Europa League ultra like Jack Collins, you would have seen him play for Salzburg last season. You would have seen him play against Marseille, Lazio, Dortmund, like really decent teams. And if you're a weirdo like me, you'd have watched him in the UEFA Youth League final when Salzburg beat Benfica. Yeah, that's back pretty in weird. In 2008. Man. So, how do you even remember that? Well, I just remember the game, don't I? I mean, no. Salzburg won it, and everyone was like, oh my god, they've done it, this is insane. So, Still I mean, a long time ago right, to remember Explain that. who he is and what he does for, for those uninitiated in the cult of Hydara. So lots of, lots of people have, have labelled him the next Nabi Keita, and as much as that feels extremely lazy, it also it's difficult to get away from that, to be fair. Ralph Rangnick, the manager of Leipzig, has actually said like he's going to step into Cater's shoes just six months too late. I'd say he's a bit more defensive orientated than Cater. Uh, tackles and interceptions and defensive work-wise, he's a hu- but he's he's superior to Cater. And you lose a little bit more of the dribbling ability and the carrying ability and the attacking ability. Not to say that he's a purely defensive player, not at all. He's a very good all-rounder, and I think dynamism is the word you would use to describe. Haidara, ultimately. I think he moves well, he shifts around, he surges into space, kind of like a do-it-all guy, much like Cater, but ever so slightly weighted towards the defensive side. So it feels kind of like a bit of a cheat because, you know, when you move from Leipzig, sorry, Salzburg to Leipzig, it's not that exciting, is it? I mean, it's, in, no. it's basically an internal transfer, but for £16 million on the market, look, this is a really good deal. And this is a really good player. Is this a stepping stone move for Haidara? You know, obviously Leipzig are, you know, one of the bigger teams in the Bundesliga these days, given the, the state of it. But also you've heard people like Timo Werner come out and say that there is only, you know, certain places you can go from, from Leipzig. Do you see him making a move to, you know, one of the European giants after after this one? Yeah, I don't think he's he's at Leipzig to stay. I think they're very aware of their situation. And when you see Timo Werner, as you say, kind of spelling it out in public for everybody, it just kind of hammers that home. Like, I don't think anybody moves to Leipzig at this point, no disrespect to Leipzig, for a 10-year career. Particularly when you're moving through the, tra- uh, the chain from Austria through to Germany, you're then looking at, OK, can I do a cater... Can I do what what we expect Timo Werner to do? Yeah. So it's actually bad news if you get stuck at Leipzig. Yes, of you're course. Talking, it suggests that you've regressed. You're talking Emil Forsberg there. You know, you haven't done what people expected you to do. Um, you probably put Yusuf Paulson into that category as well. Yeah. Um, so Haidar is not alone. Um, Upper Meccano is, is at Leipzig and he'll be hoping for something. This month they signed Tyler Adams. And, you know, Tyler Adams, while very exciting going from MLS to the Bundesliga, probably isn't thinking, 
I hope I spend my career at Leipzig. Like it, it is a stepping stone. There's no getting away from it. But the, the the nice thing about it is that Leipzig are blissfully aware of this. They're not in denial. Whereas a lot of like you know mid level English clubs or Spanish clubs will be like, no, 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 we're trying to build a dynasty. Like we don't want to lose our best players to no. Leipzig are fine with it. They'll just find another one because they've got like a whole a feature. Chain. Chain. They've got yeah. a supply chain. Right, indeed. Well, let's get on to the numero uno, the top man, the top dog. What's the biggest transfer or the best transfer of this window, in your opinion, Sam? Uh, fitting that you use the phrase numero uno because it's uh, Diego Lainez to Real Betis. Um, okay, I think it's going to be a bit out there for some people, but yeah. just ultimately a player I love watching. Um, a technician, a dribbler, a smart attacker... And to sign him for 13 million quid for Real Betis, Real Betis did this this in January, that's an incredible move. That's a really good early bird gets the worm move because he will be worth triple that in two years and Betis are going to make a hell of a lot of money on this guy. Right. So, again, for those uninitiated into the cult of Lionel, explain. <laughs> right. So, Idiot's guide coming up. Go. So, winger or attacking midfielder yep. has been absolutely dominating for Mexico's youth team and then Cub America basically ever since he turned 17 played against older players he's run rings around them he's such a wonderful watch the footwork and the agility that he displays is incredible and to be fair like some of that that kind of player the, the player that gets you off your seat like that the, the fun touch is a bit like Lucas Paqueta where he just shifts it around someone and they have no idea where it's gone that player gets you off your seat it's going to be a hell of a fun ride to watch him grow in Europe. And I actually said the other week, I think he's got a higher ceiling than Herving Lozano. I was going to say, that's obviously the, the lazy comparison. How no, 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 no. They're, they're very different players. Lozano is raw speed, raw finishing, plays off the shoulder, cuts inside. Yeah, he's, he's your, he's your like, typical like, quick winger and a much better finisher at this point as well. The goal-scoring production from Lozano is, is much, much better. Yep. Lainez is your creator, your facilitator, the guy that takes it round three players and drops it inside, the guy that initiates one-two. Just put him in those pockets and those attacking midfield areas and put him one-on-one one against a fullback and see what happens. He'll take it round you. He always will. He's such an exciting player like that. And I think those players have higher ceilings than the guys like Lozano. So we were talking about about players that move into Europe at a level that's maybe slightly beyond them, or not beyond their talent ability, but beyond their kind of capability in terms of mental facility and all of those things. And you look at someone like Gabriel Barbosa Hmm. or Gabby Gol when he moved to Inter and it all went wrong and everything went down the pan and off he went back to Brazil and where he started to recharge his career. I think this is a really, really clever move from Liners because it's a, a place where he can go and grow in an environment that isn't too high pressured. Obviously, there is pressure at Betis because they are, you know, one of the bigger clubs in Spain. Obviously, not the biggest, but in that next bracket, I would in the Europa League right now. And yes, of course, but they're, they're also a big club in general, mm. fan base, you know, a, a big rivalry, all of those things. But it also it is quite a, a productive place to be in terms of he's sort of at a mid-level where he can grow and develop and, and then eventually find his feet and start to move onwards from there. Yeah, it's a smart move. And we need to see more players doing doing it. And I think we are seeing that a little bit. Another comparison I'd throw your way, and it's interesting because he's made two moves actually, one which was really smart and one which turns out to be maybe a bit silly. Malcolm. Yes. So Malcolm, when he moved over from, from Brazil, he went to Bordeaux. And they just made him like the king of their system. They were like, give the ball to Malcolm. Let him dribble. Let him shoot. Give him all the set pieces, every free kick, every corner. And he shone because he was allowed to take shots on from 35 yards. Because when he when he 
took a player on and failed, like no one really blamed him because he was their best player. And off the back of that, he got linked to Tottenham, Inter, Arsenal, Liverpool, whatever, and eventually moved to Barcelona. Now, maybe that was the step too far. But what Malcolm did initially in picking Bordeaux was smart. And that's exactly what Linus has done. Right, Dean, let's get into you. What do you think is the number one transfer of this window and why? Mine is much more high profile than Sam's. Frankie de Jong to Barcelona. Yeah. Because... Um, one, he's one of the most talented young midfielders in the world. Two, Barcelona have won a battle there, a power battle against Man City and PSG to land him. Three, the player has, in my eyes, chosen wisely to go to Barcelona. You're looking at DNAs of a club and whether they, they fit into what you have for your career ambitions. And there could be no higher dream for him than to end up in a, in a system like that. He might not get games straight away when he goes in there at the start of next season, but they're not spending 70-odd million on Frankie de Jong to, to leave him on the bench. Um, he, this is an exciting transfer, um, and for me, the one over the next five years that will make the most impact. Yeah, Sam, what, what was your kind of view on that transfer? So, like, full disclosure, I... I considered it, I looked at it, but weirdly, over the last year or so, Frankie de Jong is one of those players who just appears to have evaded my gaze. Um, and I just haven't actually, when I, when I sat down and thought about it, I was like, I actually haven't seen this guy play that much. And so to put him in my top five would have felt a little bit remiss because you're not 100% confident on giving a judgment on a player, then don't do it. And weirdly, even though they're in the Champions League and I've watched a lot of Champions League this season... I just haven't quite managed to sit down and really look at De Jong. Yeah. And the, the, it's a big fee, as Dean says, it's a big fee. So uh, I actually shied away from putting him in just because I, was, I didn't feel comfortable. It's not to say I think it's a bad deal or anything like that. Just haven't seen him as much as I actually thought he had. I would add that it's a lot of pressure on young shoulders. And while he comes across as a very mature and professional young man, he does seem to kind of thrive in, in environments where the pressure is put on him. There is, you know, you walk into Barcelona, that's a that's a big, scary place. And it's a, a place steeped in history. And there's all these talk of, you know, not being a, a similar player at all, but but following in the footsteps of Johan Cruyff. They're, they're big things to be put on a young shoulders. And, and something that does worry me is that if this proves too much for him, we might see a regression in the development of someone like Frankie de Jong, who I think has the potential to be one of the best in the game ever. You have to have a certain ego to live up to a price tag like that. There's no doubt about it. And you have to have complete belief in your ability. But when you come through the system like he has, and you've been talked about for as long as he has, it kind of becomes second nature. And he knows that he belongs in the company of the people that are in that Barcelona dressing room. That's what he's had his eye on. You know, there's no coincidence that he just suddenly landed at Barcelona or will be landing at Barcelona in the summer. He has had his eye on this. His agents have been speaking to Barcelona for a long time, so he knew this was possible. And he wouldn't have gone for it if he didn't feel that he could fulfil his potential there. So I think I completely understand what you're saying, but I think you don't make a move like that unless you are of such a, a calibre that you just got full confidence in yourself living up to the, the potential. Something I'm interested in is, as you mentioned before, the power struggle between those three sides for the signature of De Jong. Yeah. How does that work? And, and how do the kind of ins and outs of it, a deal like that go through? I mean, in the end, it, it pretty much came down to money. Man City stepped back, first of all, because they're one, because the transfer fee that was involved and 
they're adamant at the moment that they're not they're not getting into those figures that are above kind of 50 60 million pound because of the money that they've spent in recent years so they're trying to step back from that and then obviously there's big wages to come on top so they stepped back early on then it became kind of a two-way battle between PSG and Barcelona and PSG were looking to throw money at it they they were going to offer him uh, not only the chance to win titles but the chance to earn more money than he'll earn at Barcelona but ultimately it was the the tradition uh, of Barcelona the re- the relationship that exists already between Ajax and Barcelona and the chance they made it clear to him you know you've got a chance here to play with Lionel Messi before you know, while he's still in his peak, I should say, like that is a massive selling point. Yeah. And for someone like De Jong, who's watched Messi all through his young years and would have idolised him, to know that you're going to be playing in the same team as him, probably for a couple more years, Messi will be there at least, you'd imagine. Yeah. Um, that's massive. And I think in the end, he's probably gone. Yeah, I'm going to get Barcelona. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, I'm going to come on to both of your worst transfers of the window. You, you th- the transfer you think is going to be the biggest flop in a minute but first of all I just want to speak to Dean about the kind of transfers that didn't go through and then you know obviously the window's a, a strange place and, and it has a lot of things going on a lot of rumours a lot of things that aren't true at all but there are also those deals that fall through for various reasons and I just wanted you to walk us through a couple of those uh, and what happens kind of behind the scenes in, in those kind of deals that, that make them fall through and a couple that maybe stand out to you yeah I mean it's pretty crazy I mean you see so many transfer rumours and it's very easy to dismiss them as rubbish and made up but there's very few transfer rumours to my mind anyway that are made up because if you're a journalist and you're making up stories you're going to get found out pretty quick and you're going to lose your job Yeah. so um, you know but stuff is fed by agents and intermediaries and you've got to kind of work out where the lie lands and, and how you what's actually going on but the things that, that can fall through um, medicals are a huge thing that you know the tiniest thing especially on a financial investment if you're paying a transfer fee people aren't going to take the risk on that um, there's always the complication of travel particularly on a deadline day like are you able to get to where you need to be in time um, and are you able to get the paperwork signed on time that's important too and the finances basically are hugely complicated as well and I think that the highest profile example of that was Arsenal in this in this transfer window um, Perisic, Carrasco um, two players that they thought they were going to get over the line basically they they touched base with both early on and uh, Perisic they they thought he was in, in for it the player had his head turned he was he was convinced that because Arsenal wanted him that's where he would be ending up um, but then there was this th- this negotiation with with Inter and Arsenal couldn't offer any cash. The, the situation that they're in, they couldn't give the obligation to buy. They couldn't promise that. So Inter pull backwards. Then you move on and they go to Carrasco. Um, and then his Chinese club want a loan fee involved. And Arsenal couldn't go down that path. They did it with Denis Suarez. I think there was some money involved there. But Not they, much, is it? This wasn't a lot, yeah. And so they were like, OK, we can't do that. And so that's, that's one big example of how Arsenal's transfer window basically flopped in the end. Um, and then you've got situations like Marko Anatovic where his agent slash brother pushes for a move because he wants one big payday, um, goes and tells the Chinese club, as far as this is what I've heard anyway, tells them he'll be available for £35 million. Chinese club gets excited, goes and offers £35 million. West Ham say, 
that's not his value. His value is closer to fifty million pound. Um, Arnautovic keeps wanting the move because he'll earn close to three hundred thousand pounds a week if it goes through. A uh, Chinese club gets scared off of of the deal and, and runs away, and uh, West Ham are left picking up the pieces from it. Just end up giving a new contract to try and keep him happy for the rest of the season. Um, and then West Ham again, you know, go looking at people like Maxi Gomez, thinking they can sign him because of the release clause, and nobody else is in for him. But then ultimately, wages um, mean that he's out of their price range at the moment, um, and they don't learn that until they're further into the negotiations. So there are so many things that that can fall down, and, uh, and there were some high-profile examples actually there uh, in this Premier League from this window. Indeed. Right. Let's close it off now. <laughs> Sam, worst transfer of the window, go. I'm not going to give you... You don't need to give too much detail on this. Just a, just name yeah. a club. Name and shame. This, 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 isn't, uh, this isn't because I think it'll be a flop. I think it's because it's it's a deal I can't get my head round from the, uh, from the selling club perspective. Um, I don't know why Southampton have let Cedric Suarez go to Inter Milan and not bought or loaned another right back. I have, I have no, I cannot figure it out. Jan Valerie and Kane Ramsey, two academy products there. Valerie has really struggled in the in the eight or seven games that he's played in the Premier League. Kane Ramsey has basically making the step up from under eighteen football. Southampton now looks so short on the right hand side. They are one injury away there from an, like an absolute crisis. And obviously Cedric is better than the two you've got. That's why Inter want him. I don't understand why they've done it. Good, Dean. Um, Cesc Fabregas to Monaco it's a disaster of a move for the player he was at Chelsea not playing football wants to get out of there um, basically joins Monaco because he wants to team up with Thierry Henry and Henry says he'll be the focal point of his team um, played two games with Thierry Henry before he lost his job is now left in a Monaco team that are second to bottom in Liga um, They've signed so many players. I'm not sure how they're all going to fit into the same team. Um, I think Fabregas is going to look exposed a lot this season. I don't think he's going to get on the ball enough to, to do the kind of damage that he's capable of. I don't think at this stage of his career he's going to be having much fun. So it's a bad deal for Cesc Fabregas and it's probably going to end quite badly. And I imagine he might try and get out of there. And potentially a bad deal for Chelsea as well. Like, yeah, you know, they, like about literally like the a few days after he left, Maurizio Sarri was watching Jorginho struggling in the game and then admitted after the game, well, if I had a backup, maybe I'd have taken Jorginho off. Like, you sold him, man. <laughs> there we are. I, I would add to that list uh, Jesse Rodriguez going yep. to Real Betis. We spoke about Real Betis, obviously, with Lenas in, in a positive light. On the final day of the window, they were looking at bringing in Michi Batshuayi who you know, has had an up-and-down time in, in Spain. Instead, they've ended up with Jesse Rodriguez, who, who struggled at Stoke, you know, has, has really fallen off the face of it at, at PSG, and I just can't see him resurrecting his career there. And I think that there's so many options they could have gone with, and they've ended up with Jesse, and I just think that that's going to be a disaster waiting to happen. So that would be my final call. At least they've got laners. At least they've got laners. That's the, that's the hope for, for better coast. <laughs> Indeed. Right, well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on today's episode of BR Football Ranks. If you've enjoyed it and you're not already, please get over to iTunes or Spotify or your podcast platform. Hit that subscribe button if you're listening online for the first time. Welcome to the Rank Squad. Please get involved and make sure you're locked in by subscribing. You can give us ratings, reviews, all of those things. We love hearing them. And remember, you can always get involved with the podcast using the hashtag BR Football Ranks. 
Franks on Twitter or Instagram. We're always in the comments sections underneath on at BL Football, commenting with what we think about these different opinions and how and letting us know how you feel about Sam's rankings, usually negative, about my rankings, usually positive, and about <laughs> Dean in general, very positive. Yeah, so right. it's um, it's a great place to be. Please do get involved. And thank, all that's left for me to do is say thank you to Sam Tsai. Thank you, Jack. Thank you to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Beat Off Football Ranks. We'll see you next time, Rank Squad. Right,